the university, they want to give you an experience. And in order for you to be ready for that experience, you got to be able to analyze yourself and see yourself as your own intervention, being a participant of your own intervention. Meet Adan, a recent graduate from the University of Houston's Executive Masters in Human Resource Development. Adan and his partner Ali are founders of a small engineering firm in Houston. And for the last five years, Adan has led the administration side of the business as their startup has grown in clients and employees. That's a challenging role in any organization, and it comes with having to manage a small business through the choppy waters of the ebbs and flows of the economy, as well as natural disasters and, more recently, a global pandemic. Adan didn't have an HRD background, but was attracted by the university's program as a way of learning how to scale the business and manage change. Along the way, he also learned something else. Let's hear about it in his words. I guess for me, the moment that I started reading um, Dare to Lead from Bernie Brown, what I was reading seems a little strange for me at first. Um, and it basically, is is really about vulnerability and talking about shame and blame. And at first I'm like, how would someone really accept this? And, you know, I, most of my life I live with my guards up, right? And now today I'm okay with being vulnerable. When you, you get a moment of fear, you're able to say, okay, well, I've seen this happen before. What is holding me back from making a decision? And before I think I, ju I would just let it just kind of take over me. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it is a damage. <laughs> and I think that's why it was very impactful for me because I, uh, my whole life, I've, I've realized that there was a lot of work to be done on my end, but I didn't know how to go about it. I, I knew that if, if I wanted to make it through this program, I, I needed to kind of embrace it. This, I knew from the very beginning, this is not a program that you're paying for your tuition, you're attending classes, and then you're turning in assignments and that's it. From the very beginning, you can tell this is this is a very unique experience. They're connecting with you, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. The classroom was very small. Uh, it, was, it was students and, and the professor ratio. And so just reading this book from Brittany Brown at the very beginning, it was, um, it was different. And it was something that I, I challenged myself. Um, and, and I knew that if, if I chose to resist how was i going to be able to impact the people who i work with but when i started to being vulnerable it kind of opened up you know more possibilities if i'm vulnerable with this here what else can i be vulnerable with and then i was becoming more comfortable with myself and and connecting with others welcome to executive hrd i'm your host Darren Short, and in this series of 10 episodes, we're lifting up the hood and looking inside of the University of Houston's Executive Masters in HRD to explore what it means to undertake an HRD Masters and to surface some of the expected and unexpected benefits. Along the way, we meet current and former students and faculty members, as well as others involved in the program, to learn about what makes the University of Houston program so special as it celebrates its 10-year anniversary. 
Already in the series, we've heard about benefits for students and alumni, as well as their organizations, about the design of the program, and about the student experience of connecting the dots. In this episode, we hear more from Adan, and also from former student Brittany and current student Jay about an aspect of the HRD Executive Master's experience that wasn't really on my radar until our discussions. When you think about formal education and what people get from completing programs, the chances are that some of the first things that come to mind are about knowledge, facts, models and theories, what works and why it works. Then there are the people, so making connections, networking and learning from each other. Today, we look at a different set of experiences, at different lessons learned, and how those experiences and lessons aren't listed in a prospectus and aren't even taught. Yet for some, they rank amongst the most important aspects of the program. As you heard from Adan in the introduction, there's something powerful about vulnerability. And there's a connection between being vulnerable and opening yourself up to learn. To do this, we'll explore vulnerability from three slightly different angles. We'll hear from Jay about being vulnerable with fellow students in the class and why that was critical to her getting what she has from the program. And we'll hear more from Adan about how he's taken those classroom lessons of vulnerability and applied them in the workplace and what's now happening as a result. First, though, let's meet Brittany. She's an HRD professional who graduated from the program at the end of 2021. And her story starts not with being vulnerable with other students or work colleagues. It starts with her being vulnerable with herself. Here's Brittany. A lot of times I think vulnerability can be associated with sharing, being open, you're seeing my rawness with others, my vulnerability experience was more about being vulnerable with myself. And I don't know that it was something very visible to others. I had a very clear picture of what I wanted to get from this program and what I thought a master's level education and program would be. I was expecting to be reading textbooks and really in-depth and like research studies. And I wanted a very structured way of learning. And the further I got into the program, I was faced with the reality that that was not how this program was structured. This program was experiential. And I don't think I knew fully what that meant. Um, But what I learned that that meant is experiential means we're learning through conversations. We are learning through debate. We are learning through reflecting. And all of that was extremely uncomfortable with me. The program talks a lot about transformation. On day one in orientation, you know, you will be transformed by the end of this. And I remember being at a certain point in the program saying, I don't think I'm being transformed. And this is not what I signed up with. This is my vulnerability with you. (laughs) I was like, at some point, at this moment, where I was like, what have I gotten myself into? And when faced with that, it forced me to either run away or to try and solve the problem and to find alternative ways. And so in that way is my journey and how I discovered vulnerability and the role that that played in my personal growth and development. And the reason I'm so passionate about it now, and I'm willing to tell anyone who listens 
the importance about reflection is because it changed something in me and it changed an outcome for me. And I think the vulnerability came in is I had to ask myself the question, am I the problem? Like, is it me? Could I be the one that's holding up my own transformation? And the answer is yes. I was holding up my transformation. Even as a learning and development professional, I'm aware of the fact that informal learning and learning through others is so important and is a huge part of how we learn, but I wasn't able to really take that and internalize it for myself. So once I was vulnerable enough to my, with myself to say, you are getting in your own way, things began to open up for me. And I began to embrace that reflecting is learning, observing is learning, discussing is learning. And once I did that, I began to feel myself transform. What I learned is that the transformation wasn't me becoming this entirely different person. It was becoming me, but just a better me, a stronger me, um, a leaner me, a smarter me, a more giving and compassionate me. It emphasized and amplified the best parts that were already there. And it gave me new tools that I could use in a variety of different environments and contexts and situations that I didn't have before. An example that I gave for when describing the transformation was that just being on the mountain, you can't help but be transformed. If you are climbing, you may not know that you're getting stronger and your muscles are being more defined and your cardiovascular fitness is being improved, but the fact that you were on the mountain and you're climbing, you can't help but be transformed. It is happening. And for me, that was my experience. Step-by-step, step, I was getting stronger and developing and growing. And now that I have reached the summit, I can look back and I can look at myself and say, wow, you are transformed. Not in the way you thought, but you are. We'll hear more from Brittany later in the episode. First, though, let's pause a while on the idea of transformation. We heard from Adan about how he was changing through being more vulnerable and connecting with others. And here we have Bethany describing herself as transforming into a better version of herself. This is probably a good time for us to meet Jay, who's a current student in the program and a 17-year veteran of working in HRD at a major hospital in the Houston area. For her, the idea of transformation emerged in the second week of the program. Let's hear how she tells it. Week number two in Dr. Waite's class, when I shared or she asked the whole class, you know, what do you hope to gain or what is your mission from this? And I said, I don't know. I'm just looking to retire. And she smiled and says, ask her again at the end of the program. And I think that question and that statement has haunted me from that day forward because it kind of went to my soul. I'm like, what does she know that I don't know? And I promise you by week number four, I started to rethink it. Like in my reflection log, I was like, Jiminy Crickets, I hear her voice. And then week number seven, I'm like, Jiminy Crickets, this is what she meant. And it was almost as if she was a, uh, a sayer in the future to kind of see my transformation. So I, I do see various stages of my transformation where I will end up. I'm excited because it's more than just retirement, even though I am retiring. Um, but it's, it's more than that. It's how can I contribute and give back and 
I think it's a wonderful validation for me to say I haven't been messing up for the last 17 years. As I mentioned earlier, there's a connection between transformation and vulnerability. So let's now hear from Jay about vulnerability. Vulnerability to me is being able to be my authentic self in front of strangers and reaching out for help. I I was basically raised to do everything by yourself, to be extremely independent. Don't reach out, don't give up, don't quit, get it done. And those are great qualities, I believe, until you start then getting the labels of controlling, trying to take over, bossy. Um, so then I went through a phase in life where I tried to shed those labels because I'm like, I don't want to rule you. I'm just trying to manage me. Um, but then I realized I, I needed help because I can't do it all. And when you try to do it all or when I tried to do it all, it led to different stress triggers. And so I, I did want to come in with this alpha female energy. I didn't want to come in with, let me take over. I really wanted to come in with an open mind. What can I learn? How can I assimilate? I'm so used to being the one taking the charge. It feels really good being the one to sit back and learn. And from that perspective, when I came in, I did a data dump. I literally tried to mentally throw away as much of what I'd learned to come in with zero biases, just to kind of see what's going on. And I would tell you, Probably the first four weeks, I had some doubt because I saw bonding happening and I didn't feel I was included in the bonding. And I, I wasn't discouraged. I just, I went into my self-reflection, like, am I doing anything that's minimizing me? Well, the funniest thing is it was all in my head. Some of what I was experiencing, the whole, how do I need to build relationships? What do I need to feel validated? How do I handle stress? They were actually manifesting because it was a new family. It was a new team that's storming, norming, performing. Those phases were playing out. And I'm glad that I had the vulnerability to express myself to a few members so that it didn't turn into one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. We're hearing here about transformation, change, and validation, all of which are really important concepts connected to learning, and being vulnerable appears to be a key to each of them. For Jay, that vulnerability was critical to her success in the program. As you're about to hear, Jay suffers health issues that can have a major impact on her studies and interactions with fellow students. Now, it would be tough to get through an intensive master's without those health issues, but to have them adds a level of challenge and complexity. And just imagine what it would be like to go through that without others in the class knowing about it. It's almost as if sharing that information with other students is a key to getting more from the program. But sharing personal information like that means being vulnerable. Here's Jay describing how she did it and what happened. As a matter of fact, one of the things I was worried about was how do I share my health experiences with new people? I suffer from trigeminal and glossopheral neuralgia. And if anybody Googles that, it's actually labeled as one of the worst known pains to man. And it affects my ability to, to communicate. Um, and so imagine being in what I do every single day 
and I need to be able to communicate and I can't because my pain level is over a 10 or I'm in the hospital or I'm having a surgery. What I did find is in some of these classes, the readings come at the right moment for the reader. And I think in those moments, that's how each person has had a vulnerable moment. For me, it was Brene Brown's book. And it's funny because Brene Brown has actually spoken at one of our uh, leadership conferences. And when she spoke, I thought she was amazing, but I didn't read the book. And then when I read her book, and I want to say it was chapter two or three, it was one of the first chapters in her book. Um, and it was like she was sitting in my living room talking to me. And I remember I was a reading lead of that chapter and talk about time and coincidence. And in my summation of what I read, I just started crying in, in, a, in, a, in a cohort online with strangers. And my real me was like, get it together, be strong, be tough, wipe away these tears. But my, my authentic me was like, no, you're human. This might help somebody, let it out. And that's when I shared what I was going through. So if I were to have one encouraging word to someone else, it would be let it out, let it go, be vulnerable. Because that's how people can help you. That's how you can receive information. That's how you can give those learning nuggets without even knowing it. Like, I don't think people understand just how vulnerable the next person is. I don't think people understand that everybody is going through something. And there have been members who have had loss in just the 10 weeks. There have been members who have had medical procedures in just the 10 weeks. There are members who or, you know, having career decisions. And I'm like, oh, everybody's going through something. And it may not be the same thing, but just having that connection that I'm not alone really gives that supportive edge to learning. And then what you'll find is people say, well, how did you get through that? And then they'll share, well, I'm going through this. What do you think I should do? And then that's how the conversations start. And then that's how the support starts. And then that's how the we can do this together continues. I don't know what it's like for you to listen to Adan, Brittany and Jay talk about vulnerability. What I do know is what it was like for me being in conversations with them about vulnerability. And it was quite an emotional experience. After all, all three are being vulnerable simply by talking about vulnerability. They're actually role modeling what it's like to be vulnerable by showing their authentic selves, by being open. And by doing that, it actually invites others to do the same, not by asking people to be vulnerable, but by showing that it's safe to do so and how freeing it actually is. It creates a space for reflection, dialogue and learning. Earlier we heard from Brittany about being vulnerable with herself and opening up to new ways of learning. She also talked with me about how that works for her when she invites others into the process, tapping into Brené Brown's work on rumbling with vulnerability. Brown talks about a rumble as a discussion, conversation or meeting defined by a commitment to lean into vulnerability, to stay curious and generous to stick with the messy middle of problem identification and solving, to take a break and circle back when necessary, and to be fearless in owning our parts. Brown also references psychologist Harriet Lerner's phrase, 
to listen with the same passion with which we want to be heard. This was very personal for Brittany, as she now shares. Rumbling with vulnerability came from, you know, Brene Brown's book on Dare to Lead, which was a book that we read in the program. And that, those three words captured and captivated me. And out of everything in the book that has not left me and will never leave me. So my experience is shaped and inspired by her words and her research. I grew up watching boxing matches with my dad. And before the boxing matches, they always say, let's get ready to rumble. So when I think about rumble, I think that there's opposition. I think that there's high risk and there is vulnerability in that. And the rumbling comes from the fact of I'm showing you my mess. You may be showing me your mess and we may have, we may have to face things that we don't want to see. I think the rumble aspect of it, in addition to that, there may be some conflict here is that you're willing to stay in the ring together. Again, with the boxing analogy, like you're in the ring, you don't, you don't leave the ring, um, you stay in. So rumbling is both embracing the hard part of being vulnerable with each other. Sometimes you do have to have tough conversations, but rumbling in addition to that conflict, rumbling is also a commitment to each other and a commitment to strengthening the relationship and getting better outcomes as a result of the rumbling and the vulnerability. And oftentimes, before you get in the ring with others, you have to get in the ring with yourself. Before I'm willing to engage and be vulnerable with other people, I have to say, am I willing to do this? Are these, is the risk worth it? How do I feel about this? I have to coach myself and get myself to a place of this is going to be hard. It's sticky. It's messy. There's no playbook. There's no formula. There is just genuine care and human kindness and respect. And that is what I anchor on. And when I can get to that place of truth and belief that this group type of rumbling and vulnerability will be worth it then I'm ready to get in the ring with others because I know that my motives are pure. The image that I get is I enter the ring with my gloves on and I look at everyone else and I take off my gloves first. I lay them down and now I'm exposed. And then I can invite everyone in. And instead of standing on opposite sides of the rings, we come together and I say, let's stand in the middle together. That to me is the picture um, that I get is the gloves off in the fight, I think really captures the essence of vulnerability. In a moment, we'll hear from Adan and Jay about how they've used these lessons about vulnerability in their personal and work lives and the benefits that have flowed from it. First, though, I think it helps to hear a little about vulnerability from the perspective of the faculty, how it's built into the program, why, and the overall connection to learning and transformation. Here's Dr. Consuelo Waite, Director of the Executive Masters in HRD at the University of Houston. When we do our orientation, we heighten awareness for language and what the power of language the, and how language transforms into narratives. And we awaken the consciousness so that the students are aware of how their contributions are facilitating sacred spaces, safe spaces, or how their language may deter. And what we found is that 
creating spaces for lived experiences of all kinds, where we didn't say, just tell us about your learning experiences or uh, leave the family at home. What we found is when, by creating spaces for all of those experiences to come into the room and valuing them, uh, and, and they were not planned. So sometimes they, you know, they emerge based on what's being discussed, the theory in use in the classroom. And it's in that space that we saw how vulnerability started showing up by creating dialogic spaces that gave each student permission to bring everything, uh, whether it was something at home, whether it's something that was occurring at work, or part of their history. It, it really has, has allowed the cohorts to, to, to learn from and with each other in, in very safe, open spaces. And that just invites, I think, you know, once, once you start sensing it, it invites even more so. Folks that allow that transparency to come in, that go deep into their own stories, that make those connections between what, what we're learning in the classroom, what those experiences were, and even their, their current experiences. We see transformation. We hear it in their stories, in what their employers, what their colleagues are saying, what their, their spouses, uh, their kids are saying. That's how we learn about their, their transformation. And that, it takes a lot of courage to show up differently. Um, in those in in those spaces, and so we, as faculty, also kind of model that in in a lot of ways, and we professors bring our whole selves into the classroom. So you know, when when the program is over, students know a lot about who we are beyond the degrees, our families. One of the philosophies that I bring a lot into the classroom is the role of the family as an organization. And to bring that concept into the classroom means that you will bring stories of your own home. We as faculty think that we cannot teach change leadership. We cannot develop our students into leaders if we do not take them back to where they have come from, to take them back to that family. From the time we start interacting with the students during orientation, we are also keen on the language that they're using as they engage with us, as they start introducing themselves. We're also mindful of the questions that we're asking during orientation. One of the, the questions we asked them during the first hour said, let's talk. So what did your parents teach you about learning? Again, bringing, starting with that concept of family it, it, that, that one question accelerates us as a cohort, as a team, because in the stories, and interestingly, these stories, they're part of the 11 months that they're with us because we see these stories starting to become deeper. You know, think about it as a, as a flower starting to open up. And that is the beginning of learning about self in the midst of learning with others. One of the things that we emphasize during orientation, we're like, you know, the university requires us to give you a grade. We will give you one. That's number three on the list. What happens to you as a leader 
whether it be at home or whether it be in your office, you know, whether you're leading a project or leading a group of people, that's what matters to us. And so we, we ask them early on to trust us. And so we take people away from the number and we just start triggering, valuing, sustaining an experience. And that I think is powerful. We create a space where they can be free, where they're not thinking, did I get an A? Did I get a B? It is this open learning culture that is focused on the whole person, the whole experience. As we heard from Consuelo, the faculty is actively creating an environment in the classroom that encourages and nurtures vulnerability. And they're doing this in part through their role modeling, through their questions and language, indeed through their whole approach to the class. And so the classroom becomes this safe place. But what happens when a student leaves that safe place? Can they continue to be vulnerable elsewhere and even share their lessons learned in encouraging others to also be vulnerable? Back at the start of the episode, we heard from Adan about how he learned about vulnerability in the classroom. As you'll recall, Adan signed up for the program in order to transfer his learning back into his small business. And so, let's hear from him again about whether vulnerability transferred into his workplace, and if so, how it went. This program, it, it, it left an impact on my personal and also professional life. So, I, since I started this program, it just hasn't been the same for me. I started to change, just hearing the conversations that we were having in the classrooms, and it just started to become like a, a very natural thing for me. Like I had to go that route. I couldn't continue going the path that I was going before, which was managing people versus leading individuals. And that's when the, the, the change for me started. As simple as it sounds, Aaron, but having dialogue versus having discussions and identifying what those two are. I found myself most of the time having just discussions, telling people, this is what we're going to do. Because at work, I feel like I have that responsibility to have an answer have a solution. But then midpoint from the first semester, I started bringing the rest of the leadership team to the table and we were having conversations. I said, I'm not going to be making this decision anymore. You guys are going to help me navigate through these situations. And, and the more I did that, I think they started to own up the results and I started to see the change. And I thought to myself, I've been inflicting all this time when I could have just included them into the conversation. So now today I have a group of leaders at work that through the pandemic and through other situations that we've experienced, they've helped me kind of navigate through it. And I haven't done it by myself. And I feel like at work, I've been very vocal, very open. Um, it's a small business, family oriented business. And you know, when I've talked to the leadership team or other members of our team, I think they see that. They see that if they want to talk about vulnerability or if they want to be vulnerable with me or if I want to be vulnerable with them, I'll tell them. For instance, we started to have these roundtable conversations. Just make some time like, hey, this is the situation that we have. We don't want to find a solution. This is not what we want to do. We just want to talk about it and see what is, what is the current situation. 
have more of a dialogue and less of a discussion and give everybody an opportunity to say something, it just started to change. Um, the conversations changed, so the results started to change. Every day I would come home exhausted because all day I was making decisions and and I was trying to protect myself from being vulnerable. And when I when I learned that I can be vulnerable and still succeed, I started to be more free and a lot lighter. I wasn't carrying all this weight on me um, for making decisions and and not getting the outcomes that I wanted to get. I think I reached to that point where I'm, I'm, I'm fine with being vulnerable and I'm fine with being authentic. Part of leadership, you, you got to be okay with being vulnerable. You cannot live thinking or acting as if vulnerability is a weakness versus an opportunity to show courage. Throughout this episode, we've heard about the importance of being vulnerable with yourself and with others and how that leads to learning and transformation within the classroom, in personal lives, and at work. Behind this is the choice, the choice to be vulnerable or not. There's presumably a moment in the classroom, or outside of it, where an individual finds themselves in a position where they can choose to be vulnerable, or to choose not to be. Each option comes with its consequences, and we've heard a lot about the consequences of the choice to be vulnerable. But what are the consequences of choosing not to be vulnerable? For a final word on vulnerability, let's hear once more from Jay. I think I would have lived out the fantasy that I'm alone and everybody's formed but me and I'm an outsider. And I wouldn't have felt safe to ask for help. I would have gone through my two or three medical episodes just trying to get it done and literally not been able to. And then the people would not have had the value inside of understanding why I couldn't. I think I think the aim and vulnerability is being authentic and you can't control or influence or worry about what you put out there. Because then that puts the shame back on it. That puts the, let me pull back. That puts the, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And then now that comes either the self-judgment or the critique from others. You can't control how people receive it if you're really being authentically vulnerable. Because had I fallen into that trap or tried to read facial expressions or worried about what people might've said once the class was over or what do they think about me now? I I wouldn't have continued to be vulnerable. And that's how I think vulnerability spreads in a cohort that leads to support that will help everybody get through it. Um, And it, it could just be because I work in an environment where we are fighting cancer and trying to save lives every single day. So my perspective on life is unique, but what I have set back, observed, analyzed, and reflected on is the commonality of humans. Human experiences happen. They happen differently, but they happen. And the vulnerability, I think, is what helps us get through it. Thank you so much for joining me for this look at vulnerability and its role within learning and behavior change. I also want to thank my guests today, all of whom not only spoke about vulnerability, but they also role modeled how to be vulnerable with others in the way they shared their stories. 
You heard from Adar Morales, Brittany Smith, Jay Thompson, and Consuelo Waite. I hope that their stories have encouraged you to reflect on the role of vulnerability in your own life and learning. I'll be back next week with the last of our 10 episodes when I'll take a look at the lessons learned from the series and answer the question, why executive education? Until then, this is Darren Short signing off from Executive HRD. Executive HRD is brought to you by the University of Houston's Executive Masters in HRD and is a production of allbypodcast.com.